Hey, Church Home, I am so excited to spend these few moments with you. I have been thinking along the lines of how grace works, and we have done a few talks on it, and I want to continue along these lines and subject. Now, today's message is not going to be long, so for all of those who enjoy brevity, um, this is my gift to you, but we're talking about how grace works. Um, And we're doing that because what I am noticing in our human experience for each and every one of us, because of the challenges that are all around us, we'll call them variables. Life presents so many variables on a daily basis. Oftentimes we're like, yes, God's grace is enough. His free gift expressed to the person of Jesus. I love Jesus. And if you're like me, you go to like, you listen to your favorite worship band like Maverick City, and you're like, oh, I feel so great, right? And you're on your drive into work. And then as soon as you get to work, you see that coworker, or you see your manager, or you meet up with your boss, and you're like, ah, the last thing you want to do is think about grace, walk in grace, extend grace, experience your own grace that comes from Jesus, and it kind of gets lost in the variables of your daily life. So we are rehearsing, recalling, revisiting, remembering how grace works. Now, anytime I say grace, you can replace it with the word, or the name, or the title, Jesus how Jesus works. Here's how the free gift of God in the person of Jesus works in your actual everyday life. For instance, if you drive into work, you have this glorious moment listening to Hillsong United, and you're all inspired. You're like, I'm going to be the kindest, nicest, most gregarious, wonderful person to all of my employees. Or maybe you're a college student. You're like, I can't wait to get to my dorm room and all of my dorm friends, and I'm going to tell them how much they're loved. And then all of a sudden, someone says something mean. They make fun of you or whatever the variable might be. And you feel like, how do I actually live out the kindness, the goodness, the forgiveness, and the love of God? If you're like me, I oftentimes simply uh, resort to uh, just being, how should I say, sarcastic. I was going to say sacrilegious, but I figured that might offend some of us at church. But um, that too, a little bit sacrilegious, but just, you know, sarcastic. Ah, you know, and, and we use sarcasm and a lot of these things to buffer, even sometimes the feeling of like, how do I actually walk in the love of Jesus? How do I forgive people, love people? All right, all right, all right. How does grace work? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament. I don't want to exaggerate but I've probably done at least 25 sermons here at Church Home just from John chapter 8, verses 3 to 11 in what is called the woman caught in adultery. I would like to also add that actually the title of this story should be the man and woman caught in adultery. All the focus goes to this lady, and in one sense, rightfully so, because she becomes the object of God's extraordinary grace. But where is the guy? He needs grace as well. So this is actually a man and a woman caught in adultery. But in this story, we are going to take away three observations to understand how Jesus works in the mess and the actual variables of our daily life. As the story unfolds, Jesus is actually teaching. He's teaching in the synagogue in John chapter 8 and says he's seated and people now have come to hear him teach. His sermon, his message, his teaching is abruptly interrupted by these militant religious men. Some argue that maybe the man who was having sex with the woman, that they weren't married, was maybe in the militant group. 
that abruptly, rudely, probably interrupts Jesus in his teaching and said, hey, Jesus, we got a, we got a riddle. We got a situation. We got a challenge for you. We have found this woman caught in the act of having sex with a man she's not married to. And what they're referencing is Numbers chapter 5 says that this woman should be eliminated or at worst should have to drink water full of dirt and there should be curses written about her for what she's done. The law says this, Jesus what do you say? Now, the first thing I would do if I was Jesus is say, well, first of all, you've interrupted my sermon. Let me finish my talk, and then I'll get to you guys. But again, gracious, wonderful Jesus, he says, okay, let's talk. And to be honest, before he says anything, he changes his posture. He changes his position. The Bible says he went from either seated or standing and he knelt down into the dust and the dirt and started to write. Which again, I would suggest is the invert, is the actual opposite of Numbers chapter 5 in the law. John chapter 8 and Numbers chapter 5, fascinating research and study that you can do there. As Jesus reverses the law, he fulfills the law because he is the fulfillment of the laws. He gets down into the dirt. Remember in Numbers 5, it suggests things like putting dirt in a cup of water, making her drink it, writing things about her character and curses upon her. And Jesus is now in the dirt where the woman is no doubt laying in the dirt, surrounded by what we can assume is a standing gang of accusing, law-abiding men. Jesus, she should be dead for what she is done. Well, what is Jesus doing? He is, he's quiet. He kneels. Here's the first observation I want us to make. How does grace work in your daily life? I got good news. Grace meets you where you are, not where you want to be, not where you should be, not where you think you should be, not where you're demanded to be, not where your high school coach said you should be by now, not where the principal of your school says you should change that, not where your spouse says, after 10 years of marriage, you should have fixed that. Not where the internal voices of your own soul tell you you should be better than this and shouldn't have secrets anymore. Do you know where grace meets you? It meets you actually where you are. And in the case of the woman, she is not clothed, covered maybe only by a sheet, if at all, in the dusty dirt of her local town. And where does God with skin on position himself? He changes his position deliberately and intentionally to send us a message. He is right where we are. That's how grace works. Now, the law, the law demands that you move where you should be. The law demands that you pick yourself up out of the dirt and demise of your own dumb decisions and clothe yourself and take a shower and have some dignity and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and change your life and do something about it. And so we see Jesus like a high school football coach here in the United States of America. If you're not familiar with high school football coaches in this country, I love them. They're amazing. But typically speaking, they motivate with a little bit of fear and a lot of volume, and they let the athletes know, get up, get going. You, you take out what you put in. 
And sometimes we assume upon Jesus that, that he is that, but he's not. He meets you exactly where you are. So where are you? You know what I've done when it comes to grace? I actually lie to myself where I am. I don't want to admit to myself where I really am. I don't want to admit to myself how far behind I am in what my plans were and the growth were and the growth plan and the growth schedule and I'll be better by now. In fact, I'll tell on myself again, you probably know what's coming, but a couple of days ago with a couple of friends of mine, I was playing a golf match and I was playing against uh, a fellow golfer and we were having a match and Two of my buddies, one came to caddy and the other came to watch because they're good friends. And I must admit on the 16th hole, I snapped my seven iron. And I wanna tell you something, it felt good. This is the problem, I like my anger sometimes. I threw, it's funny because we were laughing later at, at lunch and I was like, this is, I mean, I threw my club only 14 times and we started laughing, you know, usually people are like, I throw my club two times and you get upset. I mean, it, 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 I got an attitude problem. I got an attitude problem, and I got to admit something. At 43 years young or old, whichever way you slice it, I didn't think I'd still be breaking clubs at 43. I really didn't. I really didn't. But here I am. Now, I want to tell myself, well, it's only golf. It's not a big deal. It's, but but well, it is. It, it can shock people. It can hurt people's feelings. And in the case of my playing partner, it can just be something hard to have to deal with and face and my volume and Listen, I always have volume, but I got a problem with anger. Now, I, I want to pretend like I don't. I want to pretend like Jesus meets me over here where I have cured myself of anger and cured myself of losing my temper, but, but that's not where I am. But guess where Jesus meets me? Not where I hope I am. Not where I tell myself I am. Not where I aspire to be at. You know where he meets me? Where I really am. Now what's freeing about that is that I can willingly, openly, candidly come to Jesus and say, you already know where I am in every dimension and, 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 and aspect of my existence. And so I hold nothing back from you. My name is Judah. I'm your son. I love you. And I got an anger problem. He meets you right there. What do rules do? What does the law do in the Hebrew scripture? It says, get up, change, do better, and try harder. Now, this might be a little bit unnerving, but I'm going to take it a step further, so bear with me. Grace not only meets you where you are, grace will keep meeting you there if that's where you stay. Now, do I think that by receiving the free gift of God in the person of Jesus and his forgiveness and his love is not the ultimate motivator to get up and live a whole different kind of life? Of course it is. But even if you never get up and you struggle with this for the rest of your life, you know who will meet you there? Might not be your friends who've come and gone because you can't overcome that addiction. Might not even be someone you married at, at one point. Maybe you're watching this and you've been through divorce. I had a friend recently tell me, Judah, the third time around, I think I finally got it right. And I said, you know, I don't know a lot, but I know that we serve a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Do I want you to go through the pain of divorce multiple times over? 
No, but I bring you good tidings of great joy. Come on, it's getting to the Christmas season. He will meet you there. Grace meets you there. Where are you? You can admit that that's where you are. He'll meet you there. Tomorrow, he'll meet you there. Day after, yeah, that, that's where, if that's where you are, that's where he'll meet you. How dusty is it? How dirty is it? How naked do you feel? How embarrassed do you feel? It's not a nice thing at 43 years old at 9.30 at night to text the buddy you played golf against and say, hey man, will you forgive me? That was unacceptable today and a bit of a distraction. I don't wanna be the angry guy on the golf course. I mean, I used to have to do that when I was 16, 18, 20. I never expected in a million years I'd be 43 years old having to apologize to another grown man for my childish actions on a golf course. But you know, you might be disgusted with me. You might think, you have no right to preach. You're an angry man. And you may be right, but I know Jesus meets me there. He meets me there every time. And I must admit, every time he gives me hope, I can help you. Okay, God, I wanna trust you in this area. I don't wanna be the angry guy. That's not who I am. Grace meets you there. Therefore, if you're there, be there. You hear me? If you're there, be there and be there with him. Allow yourself for a moment to go, this is who, this is where I really am. It's not who I am, but this is where I am. In fact, God, if, could you meet me where I am to remind me who I am? And I have found it is in his grace and his goodness when though I am where I am and where I am is inconsistent with who I am and who I want to be, it is the only strength and energy I have truly found that is sustainable to get me up again and to keep going. Though a righteous man falls seven times there again, he will rise, he will get up, and his mercies what are they? Well, they're new every morning. Well, what's another observation? How does grace work? How does Jesus work? We're only 15 minutes into this sermon. Do you know that we're only 15 minutes in and this sermon is getting good. I hope you're feeling encouraged. I love talking about Jesus with you, church home. One of the great honors of my life. Second observation I would make is grace is not moved by the demands of the law. Grace is not in a hurry. Jesus is not moved by the demands of the law. Jesus is not in a hurry with you. Did you know that? I don't know about you, but I'm constantly in a hurry to either cover my weaknesses, fix my weaknesses, or avoid my weaknesses. I'm always in a rush when it comes to my weakness. Always in a rush when it comes to my error, wrong, or sin. But Jesus isn't. The Bible actually says, you'll be shocked. In fact, the Message Bible says they kept pestering Jesus. Actually, I think the word is badgering, used by Eugene Peterson in John chapter 8, verses 3 to 11. He says, they kept on badgering him, which is to say, while Jesus was right on the level in the dust and dirt with the woman, 
they kept saying, hey, hey, the law says, what do you say? Jesus, the law says, what do you say? Jesus, can you hear us? The law, Numbers chapter 5 specifically says, she should be eliminated. She should be killed. What do you say? And the evidence reveals itself in scripture that Jesus was quiet for quite some time. We're not entirely sure of the exact duration of his quote unquote delay. But why is Jesus not instantly responding? Why is the grace of God in manifest form still doodling in the dirt on his knees? Why is he not? It's not that he lacks a rebuttal. It's not that he lacks the answer. It's not that he lacks the revelation. He is the personification of the revelation. What is his delay? Well, he wants to reveal something about who he is and how his gift works in our life. The law and the demands of the law does not move Jesus. For Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Your goal in life now is not to check all the boxes and keep all the rules. Your goal in life now is relationship with God. It's to enjoy your friendship with God. One of my favorite things when a relationship gets to a certain place here, a human-to-human -human relationship and friendship, and, or even a romance and a marriage, is when you can be quiet together. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When you can just literally be next to each other and that's it. No words are necessary, you're just, you're just there. Jesus reveals to us this profound patience. He is patient with us. One of my favorite characteristics about God is he is long suffering. He'll stay in it with us. He's in no hurry for he is the eternal one. He's in no hurry. We, you, me, we're in a hurry. God, no. He just stays right there. What are you rushed about? The problem with being in a hurry, it almost always leads to anxiety of some kind. The hurried person, the rushed person, the busy person, the anxious person, the angsty person, the frazzled person, the flustered person, right? That's who we become when life is just what I'm doing and I am the, the pilot of my own personal plane and plan and purpose and I am the dictator and the architect of my everyday. Constantly trying, life becomes a juggling act, like we're all clowns, so to speak, trying to keep all the colorful balls of our life in the air, trying to keep all the plates spinning. And as a result, we get this rushed, anxious, fearful, angsty, daily life. We sing to Maverick City, we hear great preaching, participate in church, but the moment we get to work, the moment we walk into the dorm, the moment we walk into the town over the condo or the home, see our family, see our friends, right back in to striving and grinding and stressing 
and fearing and worrying. And I want you to see the stillness of your Savior. You are so busy trying to get out of the dust and then shake it off so no one ever knows that I'm dusty too. I'm dirty too. I got some dirt and dust, but I hope you never see it because only the strong survive. And Jesus, you would think that when they approach him, when the demanders of the law are saying, Jesus, what do you think? His silence is deafening because his silence, you could argue, speaks louder than any other voice and demands of the men in that moment. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm here with you. Even if it doesn't change, I'm here with you. I don't love you because you change. I love you because you're mine. I don't love you because you're perfectly clean. I love you because I made you. I designed you. Can I remind you, church home, why you exist? The overwhelming primary purpose for your existence is actually to be enjoyed by God. I didn't say enjoy God. Number one is that God enjoys you. God enjoys you. And he knows you better than you know you. Which is to say he knows every speck of dust and dirt on and within your life, and he remains kneeling at the level you're living at, making eye contact with you, letting you know merely by his presence how truly loved you really are. How does grace work? Grace is not moved by the demands of the law because grace is in no hurry because grace is Jesus and Jesus is totally in control. Some would argue you're the kind of preacher that you are promoting that people stay in addiction and bondage. You're promoting that people stay in the dirt and the dust. No, quite the contrary. I am promoting that the only way you can actually live a life free from dust and dirt and deplorable shame that paralyzes you is recognizing your superhero and the only one who is dust and dirt free. And his name is Jesus. He's there right now. You know, that secret you don't want anybody to know, that's where he is. You know, that thing you do late at night that nobody knows about and you hope nobody finds out about, that's where he is. And he's not going anywhere. And even while you hurt yourself and others, with decisions that the Bible calls sin, he's there. He's there right now. How does grace work? Oh, it is dirty and dusty and messy by definition. But these arbitrary rules and ethics and morals that you ought to abide by, and though the law might be true and accurate, the law has been fulfilled through the finished work of Jesus, and what you are left with is forgiveness and friendship with God. What are we talking about? We're talking about how grace works. And I end with this in conclusion. Grace meets you where you are. Grace is not moved by the demands of the law. And lastly, grace will not condemn you. And grace, 
grace is perfect. So the story continues and Jesus finally speaks up. I don't know if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, even if it was a couple of minutes. When someone's trying to talk to you and you give no response, those two minutes can feel like two hours. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. So I think the silence was overwhelming, befuddling, frustrating. The law continues to demand the lifestyle it requires. And they're standing there, these religious men, these moral men, these elite men, and they're calling for the death of this lawbreaker. And Jesus finally, according to the law, says, no problem. Whoever is without dirt and dust in their own life can eliminate the woman laying in the dirt and dust, which is to say, whoever has no sin, no error, no wrong, no selfishness, no self-serving, no manipulation, no lying, no cheating, no racism, you throw the first stone. And then Jesus goes right back to the dirt. One translation literally says, he gets up, says what he says, and goes right back down to where the woman is. The Bible says one by one, all the men drop their rocks and walk away. It starts from the oldest to the youngest, which is to say that is how grace works, by the way. It forgives your oldest sin right up to the last sin you committed, oldest to youngest sins, and into your future heir, wrong and sin. It's a picture of how grace works. And what once surrounded you and demanded a lifestyle that you're incapable of sustaining is now eliminated. And what you're left with is your God, your creator who loves you. And listen now to the words of Jesus and I'm done, I'm closing. I told you this would be a sermon of great brevity. So here it is. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I must admit before we turn, the, we turn these cameras on, I woke up at about 8 a.m. this morning, which if that's late for you, I'm sorry, but that was you know, pretty good for me. Woke up at 8 a.m. and here's the words on my mind this morning, neither do I condemn you. And it sounds like I hear from God every morning. I definitely don't, but that's the phrase in my heart, neither do I condemn you. Why are those words so important? Because they reveal to us how grace works. Listen. The only person that can condemn you according to the law is the perfect one and the sinless one. By definition, by regulation, by actual law, he has the rights to say, you will be ashamed for the rest of your days for what you've done. But the men who have no right to condemn, they seek to condemn the woman, when by condemning the woman, they condemn themselves. For they themselves have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory standard. So by definition, by highlighting the woman's sin, they are highlighting their own. So they can do nothing when it comes to executing the perfect law of the perfect law of God. For they have failed in keeping it themselves. And that's where we find ourselves in 2021, is it not? Cancel culture has arisen, but cancel culture is hypocritical. But the people we seek to cancel should turn it on us and say, well, then I shall cancel you as well. Are we not all cancelable? Are we not all flawed and broken? So this circle of trust condemning this woman, which now looks a lot like the internet, I call foul on the whole constructs. 
For the men who cancel you ought to be canceled themselves. But Jesus has never done a cancelable, which I'm not sure is a word, act in his whole life. And he says, though I am the one that condemn you, judge you, I do not. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Do you know every time you do something dumb, an act of sin, wrong, error, and selfishness, and you feel that hopelessness deep in the crevices of your soul, I want you to know it's not from God. It's from your own brain. It's from culture. It's from your own shame. And maybe it's from well-meaning Jesus followers around you who are aghast at your actions. And when they suck air, be reminded they have done plenty of things that we could suck air about as well. But the one who could suck air, the one who could be shocked and absolutely aghast at your actions, says, I don't condemn you. Now go and live your life in a different way. Isn't that the message of grace? I've lost track how many emails and comments and text messages and posts on Instagram and social media people have told me, Judy, you're light on sin. You're light on sin. Well, no, I'm not. I, I don't see sin as the main message of Scripture. The Savior is. I'm heavy on Savior. So maybe I am light on sin. I'm light on everything. But Jesus, because Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the focal point. And grace versus sin, there's no match. There will be no pay-per-view match. There is no contest to be enjoyed or watched. Grace, the finished work of God with skin and bone on, always and has permanently, perpetually, and eternally won. There is no struggle between the sinful acts of man and the finished, perfect work of Jesus in redemption. And that perfect Jesus says to you right now, I do not condemn you. You hear me? Though you feel shame, though you feel hopelessness, though you feel disqualified, though you feel marginalized, though you feel overlooked and discounted for what you've done or who you are, God does not. He loves you. He's chosen you and he's proud of you. I think one of the great challenges that you and I will face in our lifetime, endeavoring to adore and follow Jesus in his footsteps, is this little scripture that says, there is, book of Romans, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible actually says in the New Testament, your work will be to believe. To believe means to receive as a reality. Have you received as a reality that condemnation no longer plays a role in your life whatsoever? For the only one that condemn you shall not, will not, and has not. That's who he is. This is how grace works in your everyday life. I think we're going to talk about this some more. I feel a sense of God's approval, a sense of God's presence, even in the studio while I'm teaching and preaching this. I hope this is such a strength to your soul in such painful and difficult times. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you 
for what you're saying and what you're doing in our church. God, we are doing our best to understand you more and more, and the truth is your love and the width, the length, the height, and the depth of it is, well, it is absolutely astounding. You're incredible. And we love you and we thank you for what you have provided for us in Jesus. If you're watching this wherever you are in the world and you want to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I want you to raise your hand right now wherever you are. You could be in a park all by yourself and you're like raising your hand and people are like, what are you doing? You're holding your phone. You're like, that's me. And I may not be able to see you right now physically, but God can. And I just think when you physically respond like that on the outside, it just reiterates what's already happening on the inside and just makes it a little bit more real. I want to thank you for raising your hand. I know you'll never be the same. Forgiveness is completely free. You are forgiven. Past, present, future sins, totally forgiven, totally accepted, and totally loved. And that is what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus. I love you, church home. I hope that this sermon creates an enormous amount of conversation in your community, amongst your neighbors and your friends. I love you so much, and I'll see you again soon.